0: One of my big goals still is to, like, do a TV special, which I've never done. And and when I focus on that because it's such a specific thing, it, like, drives me out of my mind because it's you have to wait for a person to let you do it. So, like, it's both, like, okay, keeping one eye on that goal and then the other eye just being, like, well, I'm just going to keep getting better. That's, like, the real goal is to keep getting better. And then the doing a special is, like, okay, when there is an opportunity for that – I will be ready for it, by whether it's like I'll have a tape or like my new hour will be better than my last hour. So, yeah, I still feel like I'm like growing and improving. And it's it's like really exciting. It's exciting to be at a point where the like the landscape feels a little more open and I can think about what I want to do and try to do that rather than just like, OK, I will take anything.
1: Welcome to the Underground Comedy Podcast with Sean Joyce. For more information about our live shows, check out undergroundcomedydc.com. Hey, what's up? Thanks for checking us out. This weekend, we've got DC's Best Showcase at Big Hunt. These showcase shows will feature a bunch of our old friends who will be back in town for the holidays. So if you're going to be around, check out the lineups on the website. You can get tickets there. Our guest today is Josh Gondelman. Josh spent several years as a writer for Last Week Tonight with John Oliver on HBO, and is now a writer and producer for Jesus and Marrow on Showtime. He has performed on Late Night, Conan, and The Late Late Show, and he just put out a new book of essays called Nice Try, Stories of Best Intentions and Mixed Results. In this episode, he talks about the challenge of getting a late night writing job, and how staying open to different possibilities has allowed him to succeed in multiple ways.
0: i started in boston
1: and you were there for several years
0: yeah i mean i grew up there and then i started when i was in school and then stayed after school for four years and so it was like i was like a boston comic for seven years basically oh, I a consider long time, that. Yeah. yeah a long time the first couple were pretty slow because i was like i didn't have a car right and was was kind of like in and out of the city on like train schedules and like Brandeis shuttle bus schedules. Yeah. I was that's where I was in school, and then and it like occurred to me that as of like l- two summers ago, I've been in like a New York comic longer. Oh, just than a Boston, comic. yeah, because yeah, I've been there up. eight and a half years now. Wow, yeah. Um, but it's like I still consider myself very like Boston, sure, in, in that it's like it's not like I stopped being one thing and started, yeah, being right, right. Thing. it's like the New York scene was like another layer on right, like how right. i feel about myself as a stand-up yeah you'll
1: always be from Boston. yeah that's
0: how i feel I, I think there are some people who you leave and you're like well that's where i'm from but that's not like who i am right. like that's just a circumstance of birth but i feel like very grateful to the scene and there's so many comics there that i love and so many venues there that i like that were so formative that i'm like always yeah. excited to go back to
1: i wish that you know pittsburgh wasn't a part of me at all and, and i could just be <laughs> a classy person from washington dc but i like pittsburgh though you it's don't like pittsburgh? deep inside me i mean you oh, know it better than just, i do it's just uh well it's just a little trashier of a place it's all it's a fine it's a fine place sure it's uh you know it's like several notches below boston you know i would say in terms of the <laughs> kind of I guess blue collar that's uh, the
0: nicest thing i've ever heard anyone say about <laughs> boston who's not from boston
1: yeah yeah well i don't want to be insulting to to boston <laughs> i i mean you know whatever
0: i know i love i love it i miss it a lot i wish i could visit a little bit more
1: what um what were you studying when you were in school
0: i went to brandeis for english and creative writing and i have a spanish minor as well okay yeah which was pretty cool um i I think, yeah, I, I wrote a fiction thesis, which is like, that's what I went in. I went, Oh wow. I applied You're to schools, an, an author. Yeah, for real. I, I like applied to schools at places where you could do like some kind of creative thesis. Like at first I thought it was going to be maybe playwriting and then it became, um, short fiction writing. And wow. I, I graduated, like I went in thinking maybe I'd be a playwright and graduated thinking like, oh, you know, I'm going to write funny books like funny yeah novels and short stories and but be, but i stopped basically doing any writing outside of like stand-up writing yeah while i was still in boston while I, I, I taught preschool and tutored those that was like how i made ends meet and then i was like doing stand-up around new england and then like after a few years a little more broadly on the road doing some colleges and I just, like, my other writing really stalled out in those years.
1: In those early years when you were still in Boston and you were doing stand-up, were you, at that point, were you thinking, like, already you're like, I, I would rather be a-, a live performer than a writer?
0: I liked both, and I just always kind of felt like stand-up was one thing that I liked doing, and I didn't know if it was, like, a career or, right. like, a-, a passion project or, like, a side hustle. Like, it's so amorphous in terms Mm -hmm. of like the levels you can do it at are so many in terms of like skill level where i feel like i'm still developing and improving and like the 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 scope that you're performing at right like there's everybody from like a guy who has done open mics for 10 years and will occasionally book a showcase spot and like just does it because for the love of the game right and then there's like um kevin hart touring stadiums with pyro and it's everywhere in between, which I I mean I guess other art forms like are like that too. Like music is like that as well. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. with stand up, it feel it it's the feeling of it is so different in that. Le- to me, in that it's just one person on stage at every, right? You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Like if you're Jim Gaffigan, you're a guy on stage at a five thousand person theater, and if you're. um, you know, if you're M- Michelle Wolf, you're doing that or maybe comedy, big comedy clubs. Yeah. Uh, or you do maybe a 2000 person theater. And then there's like people who are headlining bar shows. And it's like it's so um, it just exists in so many venues and so many levels.
1: It also is like if you in music, you first you got to like learn how to play an instrument yeah. or sing or something. Yep. But in, in comedy, like the first step to stand up comedy is just getting on stage and performing not having ever done it yes and so you're starting from nothing yes like you're you're starting at the absolute very bottom and you
0: can't practice unless you're doing
1: it right like so if you're a
0: band you can play you could practice for like six months like if you're like in the way that a band for a broadway show would practice right right? like i don't know how long they do but you have rehearsals and you get it tight and then you bring it out in front of people and even if you're until that point in amateur. Uh, and if you're a stand-up, you just do it in front of people till someone sees you do it in front of people and gives you money for it. Right.
1: Did you think that when you moved to New York, mm-hmm. by that time were you thinking, did you have a, a clear plan when you went to New York? I had a little
0: better focus. What did you think? When I moved to New York, I kind of hit the ceiling that I was going to hit in Boston, mm-hmm. meaning that I was like in my mid-20s, I wasn't going to break into the kind of like, like really strong new england headliner ranks at that time Mm -hmm. so i was like featuring around new england you know do the middle spot on shows 20 to 30 minutes i was headlining some college shows but i felt like i wasn't going to get i wasn't going to be able to create as many opportunities to like advance in other ways Mm -hmm. um there just wasn't that much room to grow right or i could have kept growing comedically Mm -hmm. but i wanted to like can create some outside incentives for myself. Yeah, yeah. So I moved thinking, like, okay, doing stand-up in New York, I'll be in front of people who book television and, and, you know, um, maybe more headliners that could possibly, like, take me out on the road. Right. And I thought, you know, that's, like, also where there's enough television there that writing jobs exist in New York City, and I'm not going to get one of those unless I go there. So – It it Like, you know, occasionally, I think I was holding on to this hope that that a couple people that when I was when I was in Boston, a couple people kind of got taken away from there. But like in a in a really exciting way, like Joe List, who's such a funny comic, Uh was, you know, featured for um, Nick DiPaolo Mm -hmm. at the big club there. And then Nick brought him out on the road. And that was like such a I just seeing that from like close up was like. Oh, that can happen. And then Mike Kaplan booked like just for laughs, I believe, still living in Boston and had done comedy stuff for Comedy Central. And I was like, oh, that's possible. But like, I don't think I'm that guy. Like, I don't think my stand up is at this point singular yeah. and um, and dynamic and exciting enough that like someone is going to see me do it here Mm -hmm. on like the couple times a year that could possibly happen and then like take me away from all of this. So I was like, why don't I just go to where more opportunities are and I can see, I'll see what I can create for myself.
1: Was your style the same back then? Pretty similar. I think it was
0: less, I think I do like a very confident job of like acknowledging human flaws about myself. Mm -hmm. Like I, I think I say some things that are like, on the verge of self-deprecating, but I try to say them in a very like warm and self-accepting way. Yeah. 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 And, and, uh, and I think I don't think I got to that point until like the last few years.
1: Yeah. Because it's, um, cause there's like, when you have a kind of a slope, like a slow deliberate choice sure. there there's moments there can be moments of awkwardness when the if the audience doesn't yeah. really know you and they're yep. kind of unsure for yeah. you but you're very calm and so thank it you. kind of i think it that works for the crowd thank you
0: it's very um yeah it took a while for me to like have i wasn't somebody who started from a place of like strong stage presence i definitely started as a writer right and was like well i hope these jokes are good enough to get me over even though I'm not super comfortable on stage
1: how to go in clubs when you were when you were first doing clubs
0: it was um i learned the boston stuff pretty well like i think my style developed very like boston scene in mm-hmm. that like there were jokes and i could make the i could make them work yeah but i i think the real first challenge was like sustaining i mean the first real challenge like in clubs that was specific was like keeping an audience's attention for like 45 minutes for a headline set right because it's so different and it's i mean people have talked about this before but it's not only are there there are people there to see you um which is exciting but there's also like people that are just there right and you're they know that you're the end of the like you're the culmination of yeah. the entertainment. So like even when you're featuring doing 20 to 30, there's still in the back of their heads like but this isn't the guy. Right. Yeah, like, this isn't it. Yeah, when you're good as an opener, it's almost a bonus. Oh, definitely. That people are like, "Oh, and the opener was good too." Right. Um so I think it took me a while and it, like one of the things that really like helped me settle into feeling like I could pace a set out to like closed shows was I was, I just grew up as a person a little bit and was in like a long-term relationship and got married. And like, even when I'm talking about marriage from a point of view, that's like a little weird, like a little, you know, it's not like necessarily like the Ray Romano template of talking about marriage. right right I still think it gets my foot in the door in a way where like, I think before I was, not not lying but like inventing more things to talk like talking about more ideas and like just like who cares mm-hmm. and now it's just so much just to get my foot in the door that way be like i have the, the these are things about my life yeah um people i think it's just easier to get people to settle in
1: were the things that you want to talk about that you're not talking about not
0: really i th- i think I I really like just, like, talking about personal stuff and using that as, like, an entry point into, like, different issues and, like, Mm -hmm. different ideas. Mm -hmm. Um, And I don't think... I mean, I really admire people who build an hour around, like... In, in, like, that kind of Carlini way of, like, here are ideas I want to talk about. I'm going to talk about depression, even if it's not, like, my depression. Or I want to talk about um, uh, politics, even if it's not, like my how I vote right and I everything from for me on stage like comes from a point of like this is something I'm experiencing or have experienced or have seen and like this is how I am reacting to it right
1: yeah that makes perfect sense it always seems like such a challenge when I'm watching you know younger comics develop comics that are real big on stage it's much easier for them to like just go in front of a club crowd that has no idea who they are absolutely and i always feel like when i see these young comics that are they're soft spoken and they're or they're slow and it's very thoughtful but it's not like grabbing the audience and forcing them to listen it's like sometimes i'm like i don't know how you're gonna get yeah you need people to give you a chance But I don't know how you get to the point where people give you a chance. Yeah. It's, it seems like such a big challenge.
0: Yeah, it's interesting. And I think part of it is just, like, developing to sell the writing in whatever way works best for you. Mm-hmm. Like, because not everybody has to be big. There are lots right. of, like, really – I mean, like, when you – the a person who I think – Writes incredibly well and is like such an engaging and dynamic presence on stage is like Sean Patton. Oh, yeah. You watch him and you're just like his performance is so strong, but also just like he feels so sincere and thoughtful and funny and charming. And you're just like when I watch him, I'm like, I'm I'm a fraud. Right. Yeah, Uh, exactly. I mean, but. I think like that those his performance and his writing style really work together in the same way that like um, I'm like Maria Bamford. Right. It has a very different performance style, totally. and a very different style of material, but like she made them work for her mm-hmm. and it's like, so it's really cool to watch that. Or like Marina Franklin who has such like a measured pace mm-hmm. mm-hmm. and is so great. And like it works for how she writes. And I think you have to like, kind of learn how to to like steer and shift gears at once right
1: right yeah in that way yeah it's it uh i think it's harder but at the same time it's also like if you start off as a good writer yeah you're starting off very far ahead that's i mean that's kind of it's more of a long game right for sure it, it is it is
0: a be, long game because it's hard like when i started with dan bulger in boston who's such a great writer yeah. and he and I, I think both had a thing of like it taking a little while to just like Feel more natural on stage And mm-hmm. feel like ourselves but he's like an incredible Joke writer from the beginning and as soon su- like Within a he's couple like of a years computer. he's Unbelievable it's unbelievable yeah. and as soon as He f- What like settled into that on stage Like his jokes were there whereas like I think when you start out from a position of Just charisma on stage And like don't write as uh, uh, Don't have such a strong Position of writing mm-hmm. It's like it is a lot to Learn yeah to like I guess it can be hard the other way too. But I think like there there are so many things to there there are so many things you can do if someone notices that your writing is good, right? right there's so many right. ways to be employed and to work and like you could write for other people. But like if you're just like a big presence that can get some laughs as like an MC or a feature, but don't have like a sustaining hour, there's like You know, there's only so So far far you can can go. go. Yeah, Yeah. absolutely.
1: Yeah, definitely. But
0: I do think a lot of people fill in the writing. I don't think people who start from that position are like disadvantaged. I just think it's like, oh, I hope that their writing catches up to like how uh, how much people
1: love watching them. Right. Yeah. Definitely. Did you when you so when you went to New York and then um, you had to start incorporating yourself into into that world? Was that that take a while before? I assume the people, everybody says like first year, first two years. My first
0: six months were horrendous comedy wise. I just like, every time I went on stage, I was like, well, Nope. I guess this is my next, my first time. Every time it was like comedy groundhog day. yeah. And I just felt like every time I was like waking up and like doing this, I was like, but I can't break through. I just feel like I wasn't learning fast enough. And it got better after that. Like it wasn't, like everything clicked after that. But it took me six months just to like present myself well to New York audiences and like kind of trim the fat from Mm -hmm. my act, like stuff that would go over, you know, when you have a half an hour, you can kind of ease in and out of things. And when you, when you have three minutes at an open mic or two minutes at an open mic, you just can't, you just have to like hit people. Or when you have um, seven minutes on a showcase show Uh where you, and you're following Someone who just like burned the house down, yeah. and not only that, I I think the thing that really stunned me when I moved to New York was not just how many people I knew and admired that are amazing were there. It was the caliber of people who I'd never heard of. Oh yeah, like, yeah. <laughs> oh no, <laughs> yeah. Like, right. there's another thousand <laughs> yeah. men and women, and um, you know, uh, just working, working at at such a high level. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't know why I brought gender identity into it, Uh, but there (laughs) are just performers of, of all stripes and, and all identities that you've never heard of that are just working and like crushing. Yeah. And you're like, Oh fuck me. Like I thought it was like, you know, I, I kind of had this. Yeah, idea you knew that. that yeah. Like, they're
1: like these 30 people are in front of me. I just yes, got to get. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yes, exactly. Like, it's like, oh, these are the people I know. Right. And then there's like other people that I I know a little bit that have some credits and like maybe I'm I'm going to go there next. And then you get there and there's just like this strata of people who are so talented and just like haven't quite broken through yet and you're mm. like oh
1: no that's i'm in th- i'm in the back of this line so what were the first things that happened for you that were kind of exciting when you were up there the
0: f- second night that i was in new york this like sustained me for several months the second night i was in new york sam Morel and harrison greenbaum very generously had me on their show and uh it-, it was like a long-running show in the east village and i did okay it was like my only decent set for like a few weeks at least Uh that I was just like, okay, okay, okay. (laughs) This is okay. And I used to do this joke about, uh, it never clicked. Like it never cemented in my act, but I did for a few months and it was fun. It just like, wasn't reliable enough. This is the kind of thing that like at 26, I, I really, I would do and just be like, why can't this work everywhere? And it was a joke about the mighty ducks, the movies Mm -hmm. where, the premise of the movie that you kind of forget unless you like kind of scratch your head and think about it. Emilio Estevez is coaching that team as public service for getting a DUI. Oh, yeah. So like <laughs> yeah. that's such an unlikable place to start that they have to make all the other kids and coaches like monsters so that you root for this dickhead. Yeah, yeah. And so uh, that was the premise of the joke was that like remember that like it was like a sweet family movie but this was the premise like isn't that messed up? And I said you know, in the first movie the coach was kind of an overbearing asshole. And then in the second movie they're playing an international team where all the other kids the phrasing was something like hulking, mustachioed Scandinavian Holocaust deniers. Yeah. <laughs> was how it described the Icelandic team from the second movie. And Gaff Gaffigan was dropping in on the show because he this is like a show he knew the producers and would come through pretty regularly. And I didn't know he was going to come after me. And he came on and he goes, uh, you know, it's kind of hard for a guy who looks like me to perform after you guys just to have the image of hulking mustachioed scandinavian holocaust deniers and it just like tickled me so much that he remembered like he didn't even it wasn't even that he liked the joke it was just that like he knew exactly that what I was, said yeah that i was like part of the fabric of this thing and it was so thrilling to me and then a couple months later i got to do a spot in the eugene merman comedy festival because there was a comedy studio which is a venue in boston um show like it was like favorites of the comedy studio okay. and it but it was at Union Hall which is like one of my favorite venues yeah. and i got kind of thrown up to do 5 minutes and i did fine not great like i i don't think i performed to my capability mm-hmm. there i was a little surprised and flustered to be on stage but it was like okay i'm like this is the kind of thing that is happening because i'm here and so that was very exciting yeah um yeah and then it just was like a build to feel good on stage and feel like i was like a member of the community and valid. And like, it took a little while for even the people who I knew there to book me on, you know, shows that were enduring because when you visit people are, Oh, Hey, can I do this one date when I'm in town? And they go, okay, cool. And then when you live there, you go, Hey, can I do your show? And they go, well, we're booked up for three months, asking three months. And then three months later they go, wouldn't you know it? We're booked up for the next three months. Um, So it was just like, you're just, again, at the end of a long line.
1: It strikes me as you're saying this about like how much of doing stand up is uh is like so emotional It's just the emotional ups and downs of like each thing you do like you have a bad set you feel bad you want to get back on stage yeah. you have a good set you feel good yep. you want to hang on to feeling good you know you're nothing is going on you don't get on shows for a while you're feeling bad you're feeling down you don't know if you can continue then you catch one break yep. and it's just like it really is just nonstop and I it does seem like it never stops with the ups and downs.
0: I I feel like I've leveled out a little yeah. bit at least just because of I get enough good stage time. Like I work enough now mm-hmm. that I don't have to live and die with every set. Right. And like I can I can treat it like going to work and like taking satisfaction in a job well done. Like, oh, it wasn't my best set, but like I pulled it out at the end or this new stuff seems like it's coming together like you would at any day at a job. And that's very gratifying to have the like stability to treat it that way yeah, that's instead true. of like, and like having a human being life that is good. Right. You know, like I, if I have a mediocre set at a club, they even if it's not on me, even if there's like, Oh, there's eight people and they're all from Finland right. and none of them really speak English. And I, you know, I'm doing like a $25 weeknight set And I can get off stage and go home and my wife will go like, how was it? I was bad, but like, that's fine. Like, yeah, let's like, let's watch this episode of Righteous Gemstones that we've been waiting for or like, let's have dinner.
1: Do you think it was doing stand up for a long time that allowed you to kind of have that peaceful attitude toward it? Do do you think it also was just the fact that, you know, you you have had a full career and like are stable in your career. And like, you kind of got to a, a nice yeah, place. That's huge.
0: And it doesn't mean that stand-up is like less important to me, but it just means that I have it in perspective. Yeah, it does. It's not everything. Yeah. Right. The feeling of it isn't everything. Like I want to build and I don't like, I I'm talking like, I just go up and like eat shit all the time, <laughs> but the, it's not that it's not like having a good set, a good 10 minute set on any given night is like going to make me feel like I'm making it. And it's not like having a bad 10 minutes. That means like I'll never make it. And I just feel like having a writing career in addition to, in addition to stand-up going better too. Mm -hmm. Like it's not just that I'm writing. It's like, I'm, you know, I'm here on the road headlining shows and I'm working at more of the clubs in New York. And so I feel like ensconced in it in a way that like is certainly not permanent if i throw it away sure um but definitely doesn't feel like joke to joke yeah i have to like i'm not even when i'm doing an hour i don't feel like i have to have every moment like i know i'll get them back i know that like if this tag didn't work that's fine Mm -hmm. it's um it's going to work like that i i've done it enough to know that it's gonna work
1: yeah i know exactly i know exactly what you mean so, were you? It, w- did you end up getting a writing job before you were headlining, like kind of, it, in clubs?
0: Yeah, I think before I started headlining in clubs, yes, I was doing some colleges. I was I, like, I had an agent before I got my first job, job, and so I was there. I was doing like patchy headlining. I wasn't mm-hmm. like consistently headlining clubs, but I would do some colleges. Like I. My agents were like, I was hard to sell on the road because I wasn't famous Mm -hmm. and I didn't have a ton of credits and I could do the job, Mm -hmm. but like, so can a lot of people. Sure. And so I was headlining, like, they booked me to headline all these dates for this. um, Brooklyn Brewery was having like a traveling festival and their budget was such that like they that I was in you there. Just right. <laughs> yeah, I was like, the price was right for them and I could do the job in all the different cities and it, that was like a good feeling to be like, okay, I'm going to go to Chicago and do this or I'm going to go and I'm going to go to Nashville and do this and and it was exciting and that was like right before I got my First job, like full-time TV job, where I was do- I was the web producer at Last Week Tonight. I was doing like their social and digital stuff for John Oliver's show. And I did that for a year before I started writing for the show. And what
1: does that mean? What does what that job mean? So I,
0: I was uh, writing all the copy for their social media. And if they had something that was like an activation online, like where they wanted people to submit stuff or wanted people like a hashtag... I would help engineer that. Or if they were putting up a website, I would be the uh, the conduit of communication for the people actually building the site from them to the show. Like I would communicate what the show want, that vision for it and kind of be the back and forth for that. So it was really, it was cool. And I was doing comedy, you know, funny writing, not for the TV show, but I'd applied as a writer and they kind of had one fewer, position on the staff with their budget and so they hired me for this other position and then at the end of the year I um it kind of came on by surprise because I got hired to write on this pilot for a few weeks and that was like my first like writer job where they weren't it wasn't like I did some um like contributing Producer, what was it? Creative consultant work for mm. Billy on the Street. Okay. That um, was like, you know, pitching jokes, but like wasn't like writing, writing. And then I was this web producer. And then I got hired for like, oh, you're going to be a writer on this pilot for Comedy Central. And I went to ask my bosses if I could do it because I, you know, just contractually I had to. Mm-hmm. And they said, well, we couldn't let someone who's a writer for the show do this. And uh, we would like you to come back next year with writing credit. And so it was very, really super exciting. Oh, wow. I, I'll never forget that meeting because I wasn't wearing shoes. <laughs> because I my this was like such a funny weird day like I got I got offered this job and I was like okay I gotta ask my boss about it I'm nervous I hope they don't think I'm like disloyal I just right. want things to be okay and I my shoes there were like a there's a big hole in them I turned out it was raining and I stepped in a puddle and I was like god damn it and so I went into H&M and bought like $20 H&M shoes uh-huh. which are just made of like cardboard and razor <laughs> yeah, wire right. and so by, <laughs> by like 4 p.m my I w- they were like cutting into my feet, so I was talking to my one of my bosses about it. And she was like, hey, "Just take your shoes off. You're in your office. Like, who cares?" And so I got called into this meeting, and I was just wearing. I had socks on, <laughs> and so it was truly really, like I, w- I showed up as like a Dickensian orphan. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And um,
1: so did you do the other pilot, or did you? I you didn't, didn't do uh, it. Yeah, they. So They're they. Like, so I do didn't it. do
0: it, and then ended up writing for the show when we came back the next season. And this was like right at the end of the year.
1: Did you have to, were you applying to writing jobs for a long time before you got that? It took a year of like applying to every late
0: night writing job. Uh, so I did like 20 submission packets, like unique to each show um, for various things. And I had done a little bit before then. I would probably applied to like five scattered shows before then, just based on like knowing someone who was on staff or like yeah. having a friend who was a manager who was like, taking a pass, like taking a flyer on me and just being like, Hey, do you want to apply to Chelsea lately? Like they're looking for people and like, I'll, I'll put your submission in the pile if you want me to. Um, And that was just kind of like catch as catch can for right. a while. And then the modern Seinfeld Twitter account that my friend Jack and I co created helped me helped convince a, a friend who was a, becoming a manager and her helped convince her boss that I was like a viable client mm-hmm. as opposed to just like a friend yeah yeah. and a comedian and so that kind of sealed my relationship with them that got me like regular opportunities to submit so i spent all of 2013 like i was still tutoring i was on the road um i was doing stand-up in new york i was doing freelance like magazine writing i did a lot of like women's magazine stuff Mm uh and then and then finally at the very beginning of 2014 i got um, I got this web producer job
1: what was it, what did you write for the women's magazines? I would write
0: so the cut, which is New York magazine's like uh-huh. women's and fashion vertical would bring me in as their kind of like dirt bag to yeah. just do straight guy stuff like uh-huh. if, like when Manti Teo, that football player uh-huh. revealed that he had kind of had a fake internet girlfriend yeah, yeah, yeah. they found these websites that would, they would basically pretend to be your girlfriend like it's not a sex thing it's like it honestly felt like it was kind of for a a very sad type of man who mm-hmm. was either like just faced this incredible family and career pressure to be partnered or like was in the closet and had to keep up appearances so it was like kind of a weird th- service that existed at all but you could pay women to like leave messages with your secretary oh. or like things <laughs> yeah. like that and so they had me do that for a week um and that was really that sounds fun yeah it was really fun so i would i um oh man i forget i forget what i had but a woman would like take a picture holding a sign up like kind of a cute thing because that's one of the things that i think he had pictures of a woman like in his jersey or something and so they would do that and uh and, and so i did a bunch of that like silly low-level stuff and, yeah yeah and, and that was really fun i was really happy I still write for them on occasion. I had a thing come up with them a couple of weeks ago. Nice. Uh, yeah, it's it's really cool. So, um, and so so a lot of stuff like that. And I w- I had st- a little. I forget what it was, but it was stuff for Cosmo, where the, it was basically just like jokes. Like they would be like, "We want a guy to talk about." um Not this, but like this, like what a different amount of like exclamation points would mean in a text message, like a translation guide from guys to women. Mm -hmm. And so like that kind of thing I would write for them and it would be like a buck a word for like 300 words, which was amazing. Yeah. And uh, yeah. So like very like humor relationship stuff.
1: I did. I wrote a little bit in uh, when I was in college for a small newspaper. And uh, it's pretty fun, I think. It is. I I think that sounds like like a fun job, what you're talking about. It was
0: a real fun, it's like a very fun side hustle. It's like very grueling, I think, to be fully freelance and selling things for like $300, $150, $800 and have that be like, you know, because like when you have another job, like I was still tutoring several hours a week uh, at a pretty decent rate. And so when you have another job, you're like, I get $400 to yeah, write. Yeah, this is it's the extra, dream. Yeah. And then when you're like <laughs> a professional writer, you're like, okay, I get $400. And then if I do
1: four more of these, I can
0: think about paying my rent this right, month. Right. and
1: Yeah. I've, I follow so many writers on Twitter and uh, yeah, it's easy to see how difficult of a career it is yeah. being a freelancer. It's real. It's a lot.
0: Uh, and then chasing down the money, right? Like it's not Hell like yeah, right. It's you're not getting paid two weeks after the gig, like you do for a week at an office. Right. You get paid. I think New York has a rule. It's like ninety days. But wow. Like, yeah, it can be. It doesn't have to be. So like some places will pay you. Like I I did re, I did recapping for Vulture. I recapped shows like okay. um and that was it was like regular work. Um and it wasn't a time. I think I was getting like one fifty per recap. But it was weekly, you know, and I was doing, like, sitcoms that would do 23 episodes a season. So I was like, okay, that's, like, 600 bucks a month. That's huge. Mm -hmm. And so – but I was doing that, and they would pay – I think it was, like, four to five weeks at the time was, like, the regular cycle of getting paid. And that was, like, okay, when we're in season, then those start to come regularly. But, like, the first one, you're like, hmm, you know, it would really be nice (laughs) to, like, pay some bills with this money.
1: What is – uh has there been a job that you like the most?
0: Oh, that's a really good question. Cause you've
1: done it. Cause you've written a book. You've, yeah. you've been a freelance writer. You've written on TV shows. You've been a, just a pure stand-up yeah. comic. I,
0: I like the balance. That's like such a cop out answer, but I, I think like it's to be right able though. to do all sorts of different stuff mm-hmm. and, and it doesn't put too much pressure. I mean like the bulk of my income comes from like writing for shows, mm-hmm. which is really cool. Um, but it's, it's also, like, because I do enough other stuff, if I had a job that ended or if I walked away or if they let me go, like, any of these things that I'm not looking forward to, but I wouldn't have to, like, panic, panic. Right. It's like, okay, I'll go out on the road. I'll pitch some some new freelance yeah, stuff. Yeah, flexibility. I'll, yeah. And I really, I like that. It's, like, a very stable feeling. Um, I mean, like, I th- what I always tell people of a, as, like, a career dream is, like, I just want to do whatever I want all the time, which is so uh it's so bratty but it's like it's true like i want to be in season for a show and then like have time off to tour and like build my hour so that when i record it for whatever whether it's a special or an album that it it's like road tested and feels good and isn't just like Built in seven-minute yeah. increments in yeah, New York yeah. clubs, uh, and I want to I I want to write little freelance stuff because as much as I love being in a writer's room and collaborating and like m- helping to make something that goes on TV, it's nice to like write something for the New Yorker that has like my name under the title, and then sure. people go, oh, you did that. That's so fun. Definitely, it's exciting.
1: Yeah, I always think well, I, I, people ask me that also, and I always. I'm always like I wanna I'll do whatever's good whatever's yeah. cool I'm I'm down to do whatever's exciting I yeah. don't know what kind of exciting stuff is out there yes. like the every every really exciting thing I've done I had no idea I was gonna get the yep. chance to do it totally so I I feel like having that kind of an attitude really serves you in stand up because you have to be open. To different possibilities yeah you don't know where your opportunities are gonna come for sure and I think that's such a good attitude to have anyway because it's like because as
0: long as you're doing something that's fun you're not disappointed or as long as you're like creating it and enjoying these new opportunities mm-hmm. whereas like if my goal if i was like i want to be the next like when jimmy fallon retires i want to host the tonight show that's so much pressure to put on one (laughs) wildly unlikely thing (laughs) right or even it's if it's like i want to host my own late night talk show that's like such a lofty goal and it's there's so much to enjoy Mm -hmm. other than that yeah you know what i mean yes um and 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 even if that is like oh that would be so cool i would love to do that just the idea of like if that's like everything i do is for that end it's like oh man what a i don't know i just like the, the stuff along the way
1: yeah because it's hard when you if you get singularly focused like that it is hard to enjoy the entire drive yeah. to that goal yeah because you're focused so hard on it and you're working so hard that and then if your goal is to host the tonight show and then you become the host of the tonight show then you immediately start that grind yep. which is ne- which it's never ends it's very hard <laughs> it right doesn't and then you end just until do you it, retire and
0: it's not like every day i mean maybe this this, this this maybe that's untrue maybe this is for real maybe jimmy fallon wakes up every day and is like i get to host the tonight show and then is a dream come true and like i bet he does feel that to an extent but that doesn't make it less of a job yeah yeah. like it's still a place you have to go every day and like do the work yeah because it's gonna show if you don't absolutely and and i think like making the thing like it's so exciting to like get the job but then i think you also have to take um take joy and like take care in making the thing that's like the most important part Mm -hmm. is like once you get the job it's not like your work is done and you get to like wash your hands of effort it's like well now the work begins because now you have to do the job yeah and if you don't that's the other thing is like, I think people, um, if you set your focus on like getting a specific job and it's not a joy or it's not satisfying, um, not that every, you know, not that every job is like a delight at every moment, but if, if you're not satisfied, then it's like, well, what? Yeah. Yeah. Really. If, if I don't like, if the, like the idea of like working or hosting the tonight show is like, I want to do a job where I get to like, perform for audiences in this way like i want to sing and and tell jokes like that feels a lot more reasonable to me absolutely it's more yes because when you're talking about like the stuff you're creating and and the things you're doing rather than just like the title you have right like it all because you have
1: so little control over that Mm -hmm. and and you're it's just you're limiting your opportunities so much
0: yeah yeah and it, and if you don't get it, then you failed. Yeah. The, there's like, anytime someone like the weirdest type of person to me is the type of person that just has like entrepreneur in their social media bio. Mm-hmm. It's so, meteor. That's like, so, <laughs> so social media, uh, they, but that's so weird to me. Cause it's like, so your whole thing is like, you just want to have any kind of
1: company. Yeah.
0: What the, what, it, what made you this way?
1: Yeah. 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 It's, that's just like a, like a buzzword, I think. Right. That people like And it really means onto. Yeah. Yeah. But but it's special. Yeah. Unemployed, unemployed, but unemployed special. special. Right. Yeah. Um uh
0: my parents have money, but I don't have a job. That's yeah. what that is. So
1: you just put a book out. I did. Is it your first book? It's I it's my first
0: essay collection. I co wrote like a humor book a few years ago with my friend Joe, and it was I think there's a lot of fun stuff in there. There it was just kind of like a there was no real that would get people to read it um and it was like it was just like kind of a funny etiquette guide it's called you blew it Um, Your guide to the many ways in which you've already ruined your life Mm -hmm. And it was just like here's how you Are probably failing all the time Mm -hmm. And it was fun and working with Joe was awesome He's Mm -hmm. like a really talented writer He does these amazing profiles um, And interviews for Fast Company Magazine where he just like drills down On one super specific Creative thing and asks People about it like he'll be like You were in this movie this one scene like tell me about it Mm -hmm. Or you wrote this movie this one tell me about this one scene Or like you Um you're a songwriter, and uh, so tell me about uh, how you create, how you like orchestrate this this like beautiful string section for your album. And he- he's amazing. So That's we wrote this cool. book. Yeah, it's really cool. He just does such good work. And so we co-wrote that book. But this is like my first book that it's like I had this idea, I pitched it, it sold, I wrote it it's mine. It's not like, and not that collaborating with Joe felt like any less ownership. It was like writing a kind of faceless humor book versus like writing an essay collection. Mm -hmm. Um, And, and are these all personal? essays? Yeah. It's all personal essays. And then some short, like very short, like personal humor, like listy things of like a list of fears, stuff like that.
1: Did it feel like you were putting together your, your education and your career? It did. It felt really good.
0: It was a really good feeling that I, and it took me, until it was close to coming out, where I was like, "Oh, this is what I thought I was gonna yeah, do." Yeah, yeah, right. You and did what it you took were... me forever, and that's like that's what we're talking about, right? Doing, just like do, kind of going with the flow and and figuring out what opportunities have presented themselves. I'm like, finally, you know, I graduated college in two thousand seven, and then twelve years later, I'm like. Here, this is the thing I thought, yeah.
1: but also I've done all this other cool stuff. And think about when you're like in, in New England, like doing those one nighters, yeah, and it's like you were doing those one nighters and like in those weird rooms, mm-hmm. and that was all the path to take you, yeah, to your to the book that and, you would and ultimately book,
0: write. I couldn't have written this book, it wasn't just like I didn't write the book then it's just like i couldn't have and all the stand-up and all the tv writing and all the freelance stuff the the articles and essays that like got me ready to do all the stuff that i'm doing now and it's so exciting and i'm just like enormously grateful for all these opportunities um and it's been like very fun and fortunate and 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 there's still stuff that i want to do like i still have goals that i'm like like one of my big goals still is to like do a tv special and which i've never done and and when i focus on that because it's such a specific thing it like drives me out of my mind because it's you have to wait for a person to let you do it so like it's both like okay keeping one eye on that goal and then the other eye just being like well i'm just gonna keep getting better that's Mm -hmm. like the real goal is to keep getting better and then the doing a special is like Okay, when there is an opportunity for that, I will be ready for it, by whether it's like I'll have a tape or like my new hour will be better than my last hour. And uh, um so yeah, I still feel like I'm like growing and improving and it's it's like really exciting. It's exciting to be at a point where the like the landscape feels a little more open and I can like think about what I want to do and try to do that rather than just like Okay, I will take anything.
1: Is if you if you mean it feels open just because you've had other opportunities yeah. you're stable and, and so I, you you don't have to like you're not desperately trying to shop yes. your hour because that's that's what you have to do. Yeah. That's your one thing to do. Yes,
0: and, and I have all these other things that I can do and have done. And it just feels like I'm not like a big video game person, but the idea of like you're when you're playing an RPG and the map is all black and you just have like the little square of like your home village. And then as you branch out, the whole map opens up. I feel like that's how that's how I feel about comedy and that like I'm slowly expanding the map of like places I can go and uh, clubs in the city that I do. And um like clubs on the road that i do and like p- people i've written for mm, yeah people you could talk to. yeah that you, right
1: mm, that you're looking for opportunities that could be able to yeah help
0: you out. and it just feels nice to to like instead of just being like okay well i'm gonna earn 30 rubles and buy a sword that's the first thing i have to do yeah and right And i'm just gonna fight a bunch of like mean chickens right <laughs> and like i i can like fight the mean chickens if i want but i also can be like oh now i can go in three directions and i get to like decide which is a little more appealing
1: right that's very cool is there a place where people can get your book
0: yeah so all all my info my albums my book um live dates are at Joshgondelman.com and yeah that's it's a clearinghouse. but it's also it's like in bookstores so if you go to a bookstore probably they'll have it and if they don't have it uh tell them to have it because that's good for me <laughs> yeah
1: well congratulations on the book thank, thank you, you for doing the podcast and coming down to do the weekend oh thanks for
0: having me yeah oh one more thing about the book i did sign for people in dc i signed a bunch of copies for, at politics and prose so like oh, awesome. there are signed copies there
1: politics yeah. and prose cool. thanks very awesome. much dude. thank you for more information about our live shows check out undergroundcomedydc.com.